0: Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. You come in your Bibles to Galatians chapter five and verse one. And I love the thought that Pastor Mel left with us last week, or included in her message, that freedom is one of those things we grow into. You know, that there are things in God that we uh, are promised in the Scripture, but that we uh, we need to walk into them, into their fullness, and that their fullness is unveiled over a period of time in our life. We don't just sort of get it and it's like, oh, we've got all of it. It would be like drinking from a fire hydrant if we got everything from God all at once. You uh, wouldn't cope. You wouldn't cope with the enormity of the vision that he has for your life. So he just shows you little bits, you know, little fragments, um, at, at, you know, as you're you know, sort of coming along. And, you know, it's challenging when you're uh, communicating something, one of these concepts like freedom, because we all come with our preconceived ideas. We all come with a notion, our subjective definition of what freedom is. And uh, on top of that, you can be challenged with a context that the concept of freedom doesn't really seem to fit into. So you might be sitting here this morning, you're under incredible pressure. You might be sitting here this morning, and you feel that you are held captive by decisions that you made all those years ago, or things that other people said or did uh, to you uh, that, that are causing you to live uh, with with those consequences. Just on repeat, you might be sitting here and you're fearful of your future. And so we can be challenged by contexts where we look at the Scripture and we say, well, God, how does that outwork itself in my life? Well, the the thing is that we grow into it. You're growing into it. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm growing into it. I'm growing into it. So we're going to look at this verse as, a, as our launching pad, and uh, I love this verse because it just sort of sets the record straight as to what God is really up to. People have got all sorts of opinions about who God is and what His character is like. His, uh, you know, Rumors of God's character have been greatly exaggerated in some areas, and uh, it says here in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That kind of just clears it all up, doesn't it? That, that, that there's no hidden agenda that God has for your life other than the fact that he wants you to be free. He does not want you to be burdened and held captive by the power of sin in your life. And so he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that he would open up a doorway of reconciliation, of reconnection with God in heaven, so that not so that you can become a minion, not so that you can become a lemming, depending on you know, what generation you grew up, they're pretty much the same thing, but that you would be free. And so what I want us to do this morning is we're going to have a look at what freedom looks like in the Bible. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your word to us. God, we want to be free. God, we want to experience freedom in every area of our life, not just not just theoretical freedom, not just the concept of freedom. But God, we thank you that freedom can impact and impregnate itself into every context that we are faced with. God, I thank you that your word would come alive to us through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Jesus, we open our hearts, our lives. We stop hiding things from you this morning that you want to deal with in our lives. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, I just want to get real with you this morning and uh, just confess something that uh, you, you, you might, you, this may be a deal breaker for you in our relationship, but here's the thing. I really like the show Escape to the Country. And you can put your judgmental look away now, I really like the show. I, I it's it's one of those shows when we were pastoring and running evening services when we lived in Sydney a few years ago. Uh, we we would come home and we would just like not be coming words out good thing. Like we just couldn't even carry on a conversation, you know. And so we just turn on the television. We didn't want anything too intense because you've just been dealing with people all day. And so we would turn on the sh- turn on the television and escape to the country. would Be on and escape to the country is this show about people living in London who are. Who are fed up with the pressures and the, you know, hustle and bustle of city life, and they want to get away from all of that, and they escape to the countryside. They go and they pick a, a spot that they've heard about, that they've seen photos of about, and the tour, you know, the host of the, the show gives them a tour of these different properties. And we used to have a bit of a laugh, because some of these properties, I think, are, you know, amazingly big and, you know, spacious, and we're kind of like, that's a tiny, tiny lounge room. They call them reception rooms, and and anyway, I remember this comedian, he was saying, you know, there's a real difference between what Australians call open plan living and what people in the UK call open plan living. Because in Australia, it's like, you know, you've got the kitchen through to the dining room, flows seamlessly into the lounge room, flows seamlessly through bifold doors out to a deck. Then out from the deck, there's a pool and it's frozen over this morning, but there's a pool and, and you know, it's all just beautiful. You know, Oh my goodness. And, the, and there's natural light. Well, in the UK, Open plan living means that you can sit in your bathtub and open your fridge and your front door at the same time. <laughs> so you go, you're watching this show and people are like falling in love with this property, you know, and you're like, that's a shoebox, you know, and they're, and they're talking about the view and the view is literally a paddock. Like it's like a paddock. It's like, that's not a view, Joanne. You're, you're, this, is, this is so true, right? And so we'd have a bit of a laugh and, you know, but um, the thing about these people, about halfway through the show, it, it, it becomes apparent that they really don't have a plan. About halfway through the show, they've fallen in love with this idea of escape. They've fallen in love with the idea of leaving this life of pressure and hustle and bustle and feeling trapped by their circumstances. They're just going to escape all of that and just go and live somewhere else, and everything will be fine, only to find that those things are... Oh, have you ever gotten on a plane and flown to a different country only to find that the things you didn't, you didn't think you'd packed were actually along with you? So you had your trousers and your, your, your well, you know, ladies, your dresses or whatever you wear, you know, mountains of suitcases of clothing for a weekend away. And, and you get there and it, that's not the only baggage you took with you. You took your insecurities. So what are these doing here? These same thought patterns still plaguing your consciousness. Oh, the same guilts that you had, the same regrets, that, they all came with you. And so this idea of escaping a circumstance isn't really freedom. It's a mirage. But I'm surprised how many times I find myself praying for an escape when God wants to give me freedom. So what does freedom really look like? Well, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want. In uh, 2012, there was this tragic accident where a young man had um, been drinking and he decided he was going to get in his car and he was texting and he was tweeting while he was driving. He was bragging about the fact that he was drunk while driving. And he used this hashtag YOLO. Now YOLO was from a song that a guy called Drake wrote a year before called The Motto. And YOLO means you only live once. Well, when this song came out, this word, this hashtag, this acronym became so popularized, it became the English word of the year in 2012, because it was so widely used. It it really captured people's desire to want to live a life of significance, not to worry about all of that unimportant stuff, not to get bogged down in working in a job that you really don't enjoy, not to, you know, worry about all these things, but to live a life that was significant. But On the other side of that, people started sort of using this as a license to just do whatever they wanted. If it wasn't entertaining enough, yolo, I'm out of here. Like, uh, I've only got one life. I'm not going to waste it listening to my teacher tell me about mathematics. So so people started sort of, you know, pushing this to the extremities. And so this young guy gets in a car. He's drunk, he's had too much to drink, he starts texting and tweeting, and he used the hashtag YOLO right before he ran through a red light and killed five people, including himself. Now, that's often, that's an extreme example, but that's often what we like to think freedom is. Freedom is the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But it's the confusion of two biblical truths because you have free will. Yes, God's given you the ability to choose to do whatever you want, whenever you want, but you're not free from the consequence of your choice. And some of us are sitting here this morning, and you thought freedom was about your ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, only to find that you're now bound by the consequences of those actions, and God wants to help you get free from those things. There's always a tension with God, I find. There's always a tension between two scriptures that you seem to contradict each other, yet you find that there's a synthesis of those things. You find there's a, there's a beautiful balance in that place. You know, a stringed instrument like the guitars the guys are playing this morning, a stringed instrument requires tension in order to make a sound. You know, if you if you don't pull that, that string from its place of comfort into a new place of balance, it will never sound the right note. And it's the same with our understanding of God and the way that we live our life. God wants your life to make the right sound. Some people are too sharp. They, they've gone one way or the other. They've, they've tightened things up too much, and so they like black and white on everything. They'll say, you know, God's not interested in your happiness. He just wants your effectiveness. Only to find that God actually does really want you to be happy. He wants you to be effective. See, God is big enough for both. Was Jesus fully God or fully man? He was both. Do you have free will or is God sovereign? Both. <laughs> see, see, even though your mind... Your mind isn't big enough for both. God is big enough for both. I'm hoping that your understanding of God is is beyond your comprehension because if he's inside your comprehension, that's not the God that the Bible's talking about. The Bible says that it's by faith that we understand that the universe was framed by the Word of God. There are things that don't make sense in God. They don't fit into an equation because God is not the answer to an equation. He deliberately disrupts things in order to show you that he doesn't play by your rules. And so God is big enough for both. God is big enough for for, for the concept of freedom to not have yet shaped your context fully. And so he wants us to live in the same sort of way. Check this out in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, this is a great situation. There are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. We're assuming that they're an agricultural kind of thing. This isn't just like, get this, verse 18 is the kicker. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Savior. So despite the fact that your business is not going well, despite the fact that your job isn't the one that you were going for, despite the fact that your 10-year plan is not on track, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What's God teaching us here? He's teaching us that freedom is not circumstantial. Freedom is the decision that you make on the inside. I choose to live above my circumstance, not beneath it. I choose to be someone who gets out and walks on the water in faith, not sinks to the bottom. I choose to be not like the disciples who got halfway across the lake in the storm and thought, well, maybe this is just it, maybe halfway to my goals is where maybe halfway to freedom is where I'm meant to be. No, 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 God wants to take you to the other side. I love this quote from lemis Victor Hugo says, life's great happiness is to be convinced we are loved. What a great idea that we can be on a journey. We can be growing into this idea of freedom and that God loves us and wants to set us free. A really helpful way that I think about this is that I live and you and I live in a now but not yet paradigm. It's like God has promised all this stuff, but it's not. It's kind of just not yet. It's like now, but it's not, not yet. It's like World War II, there was this big event in World War II on the 6th of June, 1944, and Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy, and the opening of the movie Saving Private Ryan opens with this sequence, not for a weak stomach. And it shows these Allied troops in this fierce battle, trying to take back a headland of Europe, and they say that on that day, World War II was won. They call it D-Day, 6th of June, 1944, when Allied troops took back that, that little bit of territory from the German forces. It was over a year in August 1945 when World War II was called officially over. So although victory had been won, there were still mop-up operations. There were still battles that were being fought. There were still people that needed to be liberated. There was still all this work that had to be done. There was still a whole lot of stuff that had to go down. It was a now, but not yet. It was, we've won the war, but we've still got to carry on. We've. It's the same with us. Jesus is hung on the cross. Victory was won on the cross. But it's not yet, because we still find that there are mop-up operations. I'm a mop-up operation. i tell you what. There, there, are, there are things that we still struggle with. And God's trying to say, no, 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 you need to live in this freedom just now, but not yet. So, what, is this, what does this freedom even look like, Tim? What does it even look like? I've got three things that I think freedom looks like in the Bible. The first one is it has a door, and the door is surrender. The door to freedom is surrender. Contrary to public opinion, surrender is not a wishy-washy word. Surrender from from a biblical place is is a term that is laced with faith. It is undergirded by trust. It is, God, I am going to surrender my life to you because I understand that it's not about me. I love the way that Rick Warren opened his book, The Purpose Driven Life. People picking this thing up, New York bestseller, reading on airplanes. It opens with four words, it's not about you. What a great thought. What a liberating thought to think that your life is not about you. I love this uh, story of a missionary who went to Scotland many, many years ago. And he went there by boat, by himself, and he got to Scotland. He landed on a beach. And the very first thing that he did wasn't rush into town and start preaching the gospel. He didn't run into town and start looking for accommodation or get a job or something like that. No, the very first thing he did was he destroyed his boat. And why would you destroy your boat? Why would you bury that and scuttle it on the sand? Well, the reason he did is, I don't want a way back. I don't want to way back to my old life. I don't want to way back to where I've been. I don't want that, that, that lifeline that they give you and who wants to be a millionaire. Would you like to phone a friend? No, 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 no. I don't want to turn around when the going gets tough and think, well, maybe it would be better if I went back to that old relationship. Or maybe it would be better if I went back to that old way of living. No, 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 no. It's for freedom that Christ set you free, and so we understand that when we surrender ourselves, we we Jesus becomes our first, our last, and our only option. You know, my my car has a much bigger windscreen than it does rear vision mirror, and occasionally I glance in the windscreen. Look at that silly driver. No, no, no. In the rear vision mirror. But most of the time, I'm looking out the windshield, right? I'm driving forward. But it's amazing how much in life we can be heading forward but looking back. What are you looking at in the rear vision mirror? Is there something that keeps grabbing hold of you? Is there something that keeps, you just haven't really surrendered that area that of your life to the Lord? And so, so it's, you're not really experiencing freedom because the doorway to freedom is through that surrender, When we make Jesus Lord of our life, it means we make Him Lord of our whole life, not just the Sunday morning. Make Him Lord of our money, Lord of our sexuality, Lord of our parenting styles, Lord of our language, our thoughts, the whole thing. We experience freedom through surrender. Luke 14, Jesus said this in verse 27, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, unless you really surrender this, you put this thing on your back and you walk with it every day, you're not really going to experience the fullness and really encounter what this is all about. The second thing that I've noticed about freedom, as it's described in the Bible, is that it has fences. It has a door and it's got fences, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, nobody likes boundaries. They're constraining. They give you a line you can't cross. They cut against the grain of our culture, which is, I can do whatever I want whenever I want it and that's how I find happiness. As long as it makes me happy, it's it's okay. I, I can I can love whoever I want, I can do whatever, I can think I can say whatever I want. I'm free this is freedom is is everything, but it's it's like any kind of boundary limits your freedom and freedom is everything. You know, when we moved house a few years ago, one of the requirements that we had for our house was that the backyard had a fence around it. Now, what kind of a parent puts that kind of limitation on their children? A responsible one, a good one, a one who understands the way that things work. See, it wasn't that we were trying to limit our children's freedom. We were trying to get them to enjoy what they had. Do you lock your door at night? Oh, how could you put that limit on people who are walking down your street at night not to be able to come into your house and enjoy your nice warm lounge room. See, so we, all, we all have boundaries. Sometimes they're just hard to see. And so God, God puts boundaries around things. He, he says that there's a certain way that I want you to live, not so that I can constrain you, but so that you can enjoy what you have. So <laughs> I, I, um, I think that a lot of the time we operate with this mentality of how far can I go not, how free can I be? How far can I push the boundary? I could go into our yard and, you know, peer over our fence and go, oh, darling, I didn't call my wife darling, but do I? No. Babe, there's, there's, there's some really cool stuff over this fence. Like, they've got a pool, they've got those bifold doors, they've got really green grass, One of the things we can get caught in is peering over the fence and comparing our life to someone else's and thinking, oh, look at what they've got. I don't have all those things. That's a prison for yourself. That is a prison. Comparison is a prison that you can live in day in, day out, thinking you don't have what, no, no, no. God doesn't, God's not gonna give you everything that you ever want. That's how people get spoiled and how people get a bad attitude. Now, God wants to give you the freedom to enjoy what you have. So he puts boundaries around you. Is there a boundary you keep pushing, crossing? Because if you, if you are continually pushing against that boundary, you won't actually experience freedom because you're distracted by something that is across that line that's not within the parameters of what God wants you to enjoy. Our freedom and peace flow from enjoying what we actually have. The third thing that I've noticed about freedom is that it's, it's kind of being, it's under construction. It's in development, Right? God keeps finding things that are not free in me, and he puts his finger on them. I remember when we first got married, one of the reasons I married Deborah is she owned a car, and I did not, and uh, it was a glorious, glorious automobile. It was a 1986 Ford Telstar. It never had power steering, so let's not pretend that it lost power steering. It was a nightmare to drive around in a car park, and uh, and But there was a few things that started to break on the car. Uh, one day, the blinker stopped blinking. It's like, I have no blinking left. Like, I will not blink for you anymore. And, and it was like, it was over. The blinking was over. And we had to manually blink the blinker. So we would up and down, up and down, you know, you know. And uh, it was actually quite got fun because you do different rhythms. And people are like, wow, they've got an awesome blinker. And... Um, well, that's what we think they were thinking. And and then uh, the rear vision mirror kind of completely sort of broke off. So it was just wobbling around. Um, so you couldn't see the trail of destruction behind you. And then the speedo completely stopped working. So you couldn't tell how fast you were going. So the job of the passenger was to look out the window, look out their passenger window across to the car that you were driving along. It's like, Find out how fast we're going. <laughs> oh, I think we're doing like sixty-five. You know, <laughs> you know, and uh, and then some criminal mastermind thought one night that they, they would try and break into our car, um, but they couldn't because um, they were a genius and they butchered the lock on the driver's door, so he couldn't open the driver's door properly. So the passenger's job wasn't just to check speed; it was to let the driver in first up. So so, but we. It was amazing, you know, this car would take five, ten minutes to get started in the morning. It wouldn't have started this morning, like it would not have started at all. And um, <laughs> just like, yep, that's true. But it was amazing how quickly that became normal. All those problems, all those issues, all that stuff. We just thought it was normal and we'd put someone else in the car and they'd be like, what the heck is going on in here? Do you buy this from a circus? Like, this is ridiculous. But it's amazing how quickly our, our problems can, can just get absorbed as normal. Our infirmity can become our identity. It's interesting, the Bible called him blind Bartimaeus. How quickly the label of our problem beca- can become who we are. And it's the role of the Holy Spirit to put his finger on some things, to to point out in you, actually, hmm, that's not the right vocabulary. Those words are not the words I want you to use anymore. They're not the language of someone who's free. They're the language of a victim. You keep complaining about stuff. You keep finding a reason to be unhappy. No, no, no. You've got to take that language out of your vocabulary. I'm giving you a new set of Words that I want you to use. Oh, that that thought pattern that keeps spiraling you down into a place of depression. We're well, going to short circuit that. I want I, I want you to stop letting yourself go down into that. What's it the what What's starting you there? And the Holy Spirit, like a skilled surgeon, begins to go. Ah, we're going to take that out. We're going to take that out, and He starts to set you free bit by bit. There are all these things that you find out, oh, you think, I <laughs> am walk to church, think, I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right, only to be convicted by the Holy Spirit as soon as ah, oh, yeah, that guy, <laughs> you know, or, you know, ah, oh, that, that thing that happened, I've got to, so there's this, all this stuff that we can have normalized. God's like, that ain't normal. What you're living with isn't normal. The, what, What you're experiencing isn't normal. No, no, no. I've set you free so that you can be free. Our role is to be open to the Holy Spirit. It's His role to save, to transform, to convict, to speak to us, to change us, to lead us on. But He can't do it if we're all closed up and shut off. The Bible calls it a hardness of heart. The thing I pray most when I come into a church service is that people would have a soft heart. In Hebrews, it says, if today you hear the Lord's voice, do not harden your heart. Because so our first reaction is to go to a place of pride. <laughs> oh God, I do not need that. Are you kidding? I'm not going to forgive them. Sort themselves out. No, 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 no. Soft heart. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au We hope to see you in church again this weekend.